you know, it made me think about how a lot of us, we just go through the world thinking that we'll only deserve love, be worthy of the love that we imagine for ourselves if we go out and like we have to audition for it or something, or we have mm. to become this person outside of who we are, when really we're all deserving of love, which is something that I think the book does reiterate. Like we all deserve love, we all need love. So why do we, especially as women, feel like we have to like serve someone or change ourselves or become worthy of love when we already are? Let's raise. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to chapter four of Reading and Raging with Charles C. Patton. I am Charles C. Patton, and thank you so much for spending your time with me today. This chapter is a conversation that I had with Colleen. Colleen is an aspiring model. She is a motivational speaker of sorts. She promotes body positivity, self-love, and sexual liberation all through her pages. I'm so honored that she agreed to have this conversation with me centered around love. For this chapter, we based our conversation on the book All About Love, New Visions, written by Bell Hooks. This book was so enlightening. It really did a number on me when I read it and when we had this conversation. Bell Hooks really takes the time to express uh, her thoughts on love and her thoughts on how we can be more loving and how we can receive more love. The word for this chapter is just that, love. And not love in the sense that we've been taught throughout our lives in performing uh, an emotion of sorts, but love in the way that Bell Hooks defines it. The will to extend oneself in order to nurture their own or another spiritual growth. Again, if you are not registered to vote, please go into the description below. All of that information is laid out for you. Early voting has started in most states and please think of this as election season, not election day. Please vote. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello, beautiful people. And welcome to Reading and Raging with Charles C. Patton, the podcast. Through an in-depth analysis of creative written works, thought-provoking conversations, as well as critical commentary on the world around us, RRC serves as a haven for individuals that yearn to inspire and awaken the light from within. Designed to aid each of us in our journeys for self-discovery and enlightenment, pushing us closer to actualizing our unique purpose. We can't wait for you to be a part of this conversation. And now, let's rage. I don't usually start the these conversations like this before. Like I'd usually, you know, give some time before I start recording and, and all that stuff. But listen, I this book is so captivating. Right. I, I am like 
I, I can't even like put into words just how good and how how more how I feel like I, I feel so I don't even know like I don't even know what the like as I was reading I'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh I like I just like you know I I can't I am so thankful for you and for for you even requesting this like for the basis of our conversation today I I'm just so overwhelmed with gratitude for this because I am like learning so much like even like every yeah. single was every uh, page yes <laughs> and it's something uh, that you have to really digest yeah absolutely and like I read it like pretty fast like I was skimming through it and I you know trying to prepare for the conversation and everything mm -hmm. but I'm definitely going to go back and take my time and really digest everything from it so thank you for real like I again I don't start these conversations like this before but I had to with this one um, oh. But yes, thank you so much. Uh, how are you doing? Thank How's you. I'm I doing how's, good? Yeah. I mean, okay, so I'm excited because, well, when I was hoping the book would actually hit, like I said, I was going to because I was like, this is something I want everybody to read at least, right? Like, to like get the contents of it. Maybe a lot of people don't agree with certain parts, which I understand, but to at least have this notion of like that your eyes being open to the things that seem normal but underneath right. the surface are not and like so I'm glad that you enjoyed it and that you got something out of it because that's like my whole purpose with everything but I'm really good like life is good I'm just trying my best to like adjust to the fact that quarantine is going to be a thing for a while I guess yeah. so that's the one thing that's in the back of my mind but other than that I've been really happy so yeah that's good I love seeing you on social media I love when you have your little talks and you give your perspective on stuff and allowing people you know to come in and and talk about really taboo things that you know a lot of people might not you know agree with on first look but um, then if you take a deeper dive into it and really see what you're saying and see you know the different conversations that you're trying to have I love it all and we like I'm just, this is, this kind of, this, like, what, what we're doing right now is hitting different for me because mm -hmm. you were, oh God, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get there. Okay. Cause I'm so overwhelmed with so much emotion and so much love and, and appreciation for you, like, because of you you were a part of my life in a very very instrumental time and that and we we met in middle school and we cultivated this friendship um and you were the first person that really just said effort like you are who you are i love you for that and we gonna ride this thing out and i really did appreciate that and i didn't realize just how much that affected me until 
honestly until at this very moment because like seeing you right now and even though we're not you know physically with each other right now um all the memories are coming back like everything all of our talks that we've had all of the times that you know the tough times the the situations the people the relationships the the everything and anything i just i'm so i'm so grateful that you walked into my life when you did and that you were just willing to you know bring me on in i feel the exact same way i'm so glad you said that i feel like so emotional right now because yeah. i always tell people about you as somebody who was very instrumental in my life as well like Anytime somebody asks me about people who have affected me forever, like you're the first person that comes to mind, definitely, because like you said, like you accepted me for who I was, especially at a time where like nobody else was really doing that and I was new. So it was kind of like, okay, who is this person? And you didn't really care about any of that. I feel like we at first didn't click, but then once we did, it was like everything fell into place from there. And like, I always tell people about the time where um, you went to the counselor for me and started setting up those appointments that I really needed at the time. And like, I think about who would ever do that for me. Like, I still to this day, I don't think I've met anyone who would do that. You know what I mean? And everything that you've done and like all of our laughs and just mm. the way you took me into your world. I feel like we are so similar, but very different. At the same yeah. Time. Like, you showed me a lot and helped me. And I've never forgotten about any of that. So I'm glad that you still remember too. Oh, thanks, love. Yes, I remember. And I'm... It was a wonderful time, even though, you know, a bunch of other stuff. But anyway, this <laughs> book, again, I feel like every single person that is living and breathing needs to read this book because it is truly all about love. And we'll get into it, like all of the different aspects of what was discussed in it. And it really read like a conversation. Like I felt like I was in conversation with Bell Hooks. But can you give like your uh, perspective and why you wanted to have this work as the basis for our conversation? Well, yeah. So I feel like something we both really value is like freedom to be yourself. Of course, you know, we both mentioned that already in the introduction. And so for me, even though the book is all about love, it really is. But for me, it's also about freedom and like love and freedom being very connected. And I feel like you can't really have one without the other. And so when I was reading this and figuring out a lot about the love that I was accepting in my life and like the love that I have for myself, it just let me realize how I have freedom to choose what I'm going to decide is love for me or what is enough love for me, how I'm going to love myself. And it's like freed my life in so many other ways, just thinking about that as my basis. And so I wanted to talk about that because, you know, that's something we both value. I feel like our, the people who are going to listen to this could really get something out of it. Like no matter where you are in life, you could always think about how you could better love yourself or how the yeah. people around you could better love you or how you could better love other people. So that's pretty much why I wanted to choose that, to just get that freedom and that love out there that other people can start being as happy as I've been since I read it. Yeah, and like that idea of freedom and being free from like what we've been conditioned to believe we must accept in love from other people, love from ourselves even, like that was definitely an overpowering theme with throughout it. And one thing that one thing that I loved uh about it is 
she was framing the the conversation in and I'm calling it a conversation because it felt like a conversation when like when I was reading it but she framed it in a way that uh that didn't primarily focus on romantic involvements with people and really and and gave us the full scope of of how we've internalized love and how we've internalized receiving and giving love and one thing and she uh like talking about the schools of love and and how uh the family aspect of things and how like our family and parents and loved ones and the love how love and abuse we feel like it can coexist with each other can you speak a little bit about how how you uh how you perceived or how you um understood that uh dichotomy to be yeah so when she mentioned that i thought it was really important because growing up my grandparents you know i used to live with them before i moved to charlotte and there was so much that happened between them and their relationship things that i didn't feel like were okay at all and just a lot of secrets a lot of lying even i think there was some physical abuse and what i would always hear is like well they love each other but you know they just have these demons that they just can't seem to conquer well Mm -hmm. they love each other but you know sometimes when you love somebody you're going to hurt them the most and like just little quotes like that i hear all the time that like you know, it's like, well, I guess that's just how love is. And even hitting your children, I feel like a lot yeah. of people will say, it's like, oh, well, it's abuse, but it's for their good. It's because I love you that I'm doing this. And right. it really does teach you, or it taught me at least, because I know some people can go through something like that and they're like, okay, no, I'm never going to accept this. But I was the type of person where I was like, well, these people that I trust, my family, they're older than me, they must know what they're talking about. Like, this just mm-hmm. must be what it is. And it wasn't until I started finding myself in similar situations where I was dealing with different forms of abuse where I was like, okay, well, they're saying that this can be love and abuse, but I'm not feeling any love out of this. So what's like the real truth? But it took a long time for me to actually get to the point where I could say, okay, no, abuse and love don't exist. And I feel like I had gotten to that point, but reading the book was different because she explained why those things can't really exist rather than me just being like, oh, like it's not, you know? Yeah, definitely. And when you were saying that, like, I do this because I love you, or when we hear a lot of times, this is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. Like, we don't think that we don't think that we internalize those messages uh, when we're younger. And that shows up in how we perform love or how we think we're performing love in our relationships. Because I remember like, of course, like, you know, the African-American experience is we get beat. Like really, like everybody has some form of discipline, but you know, that's the stories that we hear, the shared experience that we have with with our parents and, and discipline. And I didn't realize just how profound that is that I felt that love had to have some form of of sorrow, some form of of hurt associated with it in order for me to know that it's real. Right. How how did that yeah, were you able to like in reading the book and then like doing self-reflection of yourself and how you showed up and how you accepted love, how did how were you able to to pivot and and truly fall into yourself and and know that this is not 
this type of love, even though it's not really love, but just for the sake of you know, saying that this type of love is not something that I want to accept for myself. Honestly, after reading the book, I went in the bathroom and I was just looking at myself like, okay, how am I feeling right now? And honestly, it just made me think about all the women who have been in my life, whether it's like my own mom or parents of my friends, my aunts, whoever, and like everything that they accepted as love that's really not, how are they feeling right now? Like, what are their lives looking like right now? What type of people are they? How do they feel? And a lot of them, you know, they're hurting, they're not happy, they feel trapped, they feel like they're already stuck in this life that they don't want, and that they want so much more for themselves, and they just wish that they could be loved the way they feel they should be loved. But something about that, it just keeps them there. I don't know if it's the yeah. addiction to like, you know, in abusive situations, it can be hard to break that cycle. Other times, your self-esteem gets so broken down, you don't believe that you could have anything else. And so I had to ask myself, like, is that how I want to be 20 years from now? Yeah. Do I want to be that person, like, telling my younger family members, like, no, don't ever get married, like, oh, these men are just so terrible, but I'm still with them, you know, like, I don't want to be that person. Mm. So I was like, I have a choice, like, either I can just keep doing what they're doing, even though I know it doesn't work, or I can just, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be better than this, <laughs> so yeah. I got to just do something. So that was, like, the moment I had where I was like, okay, I don't need to accept this anymore. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> listen, I, <laughs> oh, goodness. Like thinking about how, so I was, I've always been sort of obsessed with this idea of relationship and, and like different forms of relationships and, and how that looks like. And I remember when I was younger, I was watching this TED talk and it was, uh, it was about, I can't remember the name of it, but she was talking about how there is uh you can have trust, you can have more trust in a relationship after a betrayal than you did beforehand. Because there is, uh, there's, when you do, when someone betrays someone in a relationship, there's this shattering of everything that you knew to be true. And now you have to rebuild that to, and you can potentially be like stronger than you were before. I internalize that as in order to have a strong and meaningful relationship you have to have a betrayal you have mm -hmm. to have like somebody has to do something in the relationship to tear it apart and then build it back together in order to have a strong relationship mm -hmm. i didn't think that you could go into something with two people or however many people you are like in the relationship whatever relationship style you have and and build trust in a way that was not predicated on destruction of that same trust. And wow. even, and I'm just like, wait a second. So you mean <laughs> to tell me that we have the potential to, to love people and accept love without being hurt before that? And I, I was just like, oh, mind blown. Yes, right. And it's crazy that, that we're taught to think these things. Like, how, how did your, I know you touched on like how you like showed up in, well, how you accepted love and, and what you saw from your grandparents and everything like that. But how, what were some other misconceptions that you had about love and, and about how you can show up in spaces 
that you didn't really understand before reading the book? Um, so, hmm. this one's an interesting one because when it's mentioned in the book, um, so basically let's just start here. There's this idea in the book where it's like, we should give more love to people more freely. We should, you know, stop thinking of love as something that's just so like taboo or something that people don't want or something that we have to hold so tightly to because if not, we'll never get it back. But also on the flip side of that, I think as women, we're taught to give so much love and so much service and so much of ourselves, like from the very beginning to prove that we're even worthy of being loved back. So that's something that I had to think about a lot because even though she was encouraging us to give more love in the book for the sake of community and for the sake of the world, and I definitely do agree on that level, um, it's also something that I had to stop and think like, okay, but who is deserving of that love? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it made me think about how a lot of us, we just go through the world thinking that we'll only deserve love, be worthy of the love that we imagine for ourselves if we go out and like we have to audition for it or something, or we have mm -hmm. to become this person outside of who we are when really we're all deserving of love, which is something that I think the book does reiterate. Like we all deserve love, we all need love. So why do we, especially as women, feel like we have to like serve someone or change ourselves or become worthy of love when we already are? And so that kind of helped me to, I guess, stop doing so much just to be loved instead just love myself and then consider any love as extra that comes my way. And it should be given to me freely. Like she says, I shouldn't have to go and audition for it. I shouldn't have to prove that I'm a good woman or like a wifey material or something like right. that. Like I just need to be myself and like that love will come to me and I don't have to accept love that's going to be like, well, no, you have to do this, this, or you have to show me that you're worth it. Like that's not even love really because love is supposed to be unconditional and just because of who you are, it's not supposed to be what you should do for a person and you know, what you have to offer or how you can make them feel. It's just love because of the sake of love. And that's something that she really reiterates in the book, I think, because she's like, stop thinking of love as like something so far outside of ourselves. It's just what we are. So yeah. it should just be given and attracted. Yeah. And when she says like, uh, we do not, we do not have to love, we choose to love. And uh, in this idea that there's a willingness to love and it's, mm -hmm it's not just like this it's not just this like emotion that we feel you know it's like something that mm -hmm. we work we work towards we work to give it we work to give it we it's it's something that it, it's you choose every single day and it's not right. just something that you sit in and it's like this taboo thing that's that's out there that's not really available for you like how has that been uh, part of your journey to to understand how you can give love and also yes. this idea of choosing love every time? Mm -hmm. So I think like in situations where I find myself acting in a way that's not loving, um, it's helped me to really understand why and examine how I'm feeling towards that person. Like, like, how she says, you can say that you love somebody, but love is a choice. You have to choose to love them the right way. It has to be done in a healthy way. And so if I find myself constantly wanting to act out of love with the person, like, is that somebody that I need to have in my life? And also when I see myself acting unloving towards myself, recognizing that for what it is and not just like, you know, I think a lot of times, especially on social media, things that we do 
to other people or to ourselves that are not really loving we're just like oh it's just like a little quirk that i have like yeah oh i never sleep oh haha, i just have a bad sleeping schedule i don't feed myself enough oh haha, i just want to lose weight like you know or like oh i just shut people out of my life because that's just what i do like sorry i'm gonna ghost you for like a year and just come back like those things are not very loving and yeah. we can't just laugh it off and we have to really sit with ourselves and think like okay am i acting like i love this person the way i say i do am i acting like i love myself and just questioning all of my habits it was like a good week where every single thing that i did i felt like i had to say okay is this loving of me am mm -hmm. i showing the love or am i just saying it why do i choose to show love this way is that like some things i felt like i was thinking i was showing love like yelling at somebody or trying to tell them what to do with their life or something right. and i'm like okay yeah that's what my parents said was love for me but then i have to ask but is that really love am i showing love when i do these things and so you know it changed the way i showed love to myself of course and I feel like I mentioned that a lot because that's the most important thing. If you don't love yourself, yeah. you can't give you can't, it out. But I love it, yeah. And it's like I feel like it sounds cliche, but it's so true. And so when I started being nicer to myself and more loving with myself and asking myself these questions, I was able to open up those conversations with people. And that's something I feel like I hadn't done really. It was like ask people, how can I love you? And not just like, oh, you have to accept the love how I give it to you. But like right. how can I make you feel more loved? How can I show love in a way that you want to receive it from me? Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Listen, I I think that a lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people because I don't know a lot of people, but just for the sake of the conversation, uh, a lot of people don't, uh, don't ask themselves those questions. Don't ask themselves, like, how can I be a more loving person? How can I show up for someone that I do love? How can I, what are these actions really are they rooted in love or are they rooted in ego or are they rooted in control? Like what exactly does this look like? And I resonate with that so well when you say like, if I'm telling somebody like what to do with their life, like, am I doing this out of love or is this just like what I've perceived as love from my parents? Cause you know, like if you have parents that are a little bit more strict and they, you know, want to tell you uh, how to live your life, you take that on as a way to show love to other people like no this is tough love we, we call it tough love yeah. right Where, <laughs> and it's like no that's your own perception of what you think is right and you're just uh just putting that onto me and all of those around you because really you doing that is a way for you to validate your own like thought process and, and how you do things so and true. if other people's not doing it then it's not valid to you so is it really valid? So, oh my, it's, <laughs> and it's interesting that you say like, uh, how do you want, asking people, how do you want to be loved or, or how, you know, how do you like to be loved or, or around that, that area? And that kind of like hints at her, uh, her critique, I would say on like the love languages and what that, that has you know uh fostered in you know our nation and, and people in general and like i have some tiny bit disagreements with it but i understand where she's coming from with it and yeah. uh, she writes uh where is it uh she writes this type of literature is popular because it does not demand a change in fixed ways of thinking about gender about gender roles culture or love rather than sharing strategies that will help us come more loving and actually encourages everyone to adapt to circumstances where love is lacking. 
and that idea of uh, of encouraging people to adapt to certain circumstances or situations where there is a lack of love rather than abundance of it. Uh, have you? How how does this how does this show up in your life? How do you uh, interpret her saying this? Um. So I don't know if this is entirely what she means by this, but when I hear the critique of the love languages, I'm kind of on the fence too, because on one end of it, I do understand that the love languages a lot of times can be gendered or like tailored to what our ideas of love already are. But also I think it's important to meet people where they're at. So maybe if that's what they need at the moment, it's okay to play into that a little bit, but not too much. I feel like there's like a line, but like one thing that I do think about, I don't know, really if like because I'm trying to remember this part in the book but I don't necessarily remember what she says after that but one thing I think about with the love languages is I've noticed a lot of men will say their love language is acts of service or something and then like but they like to receive those acts of service Mm -hmm. and then a lot of women will say that they like to perform the acts of service and I see that as like a pattern because you know men and women were kind of taught like okay we're here to serve the men and they're going to take that from us and so they expect those things so I do think like there's some validity to saying, yes, I like to receive these things. But then of course, there's always asking why. And like, right. you know, where does that thought come from? Because for me, I feel like, okay, recently I've been like on dating apps <laughs> and a lot <laughs> of the guys there who will be like, yeah, I'm like a dominant alpha man and my acts of service and that's what you have yes. to show me. They're like, whatever. So it's like, uh, is that really like you receiving love or is that what you think that I'm supposed to do for you? Because it's not mm-hmm. necessarily the same thing. And um, I saw a tweet from uh, one of the dating coaches that I follow, and she says that if, as a woman, your love language is automatically acts of service, that there's always a problem with that because, you know, we're already being used for our labor that's so undervalued already. Right. So why do you feel the need to show your love in that way when you, there's like so many other ways outside of those things like gifts, quality time, you know, all of that. There's different ways to show love. So I think if you're getting caught up in the love languages, that's one thing. So I try not to do that. But I do also think like, of my love languages but maybe not necessarily by the five that there already are but like things that yeah i like to be taught new things that's not a love language but for me it is you know what right. i'm saying so like that's what i would encourage people to do honestly like think of your love language but outside of those five boxes because that's what yeah. i've done and it's helped me out because now i can tell people this is exactly what i want you to do and like if i want you to teach me about science that makes me feel loved then do it and then it's like very simple yeah i love that and uh, this idea of like uh, women and how their relationship with with men and how they have always been taught and con- are continued like continue to be taught like you must be of service to the man you must do things for him in order to to have his validation your value is predicated on his uh, telling you that you are valuable and this idea is so like. I feel that on one hand, society tells us that men like at a certain, and she even goes into when she's discussing like uh, the like adolescence and and the the lack of love and lack of affection that that we give or or that we uh, we administer or allow for for young men, young boys to have like when they're growing up and how at a certain age that affection, that love that we so desire and so uh, intuitively have for ourselves and for other people, 
is knocked down and you can no longer show this type of affection, this type of love. And, and on the other hand, it's like with women and, and uh, those and femme folks, like they can no longer, uh, they have to, uh, they have to strive to, to get love from other people. They have to perform certain, certain acts of service, certain things in order to, to get love from other people and show them their value in that way. How has this been, this idea of trying to deconstruct that notion of thinking, that notion of what love is, how has that shown up in your life? Um, hmm. It's honestly caused me to distance myself from a lot of people, but in a good way, for the sake of like evaluating what I feel is valuable that I give to others. Mm. So I guess like, for me, you know, in Latin culture, machismo is like the thing mm-hmm. and it's like the law. So it's very hard for me to yank certain things out of my mind. Yeah. And so I find that when I'm interacting with men, I just have to do it less because I'm so programmed for my natural thing to be like, okay, let me find a way to serve him or make him feel this way or do this and mm-hmm. that. Even if it's just like on a very platonic level or like for the men in my family, like my first thought is like, what can I do for you? Right. So right. I've been noticing that a lot that the best way to combat that, at least for now, is just to come inward. So that's been the main way that has been showing up. So I can catch myself when I feel like I'm overextending. Because I notice with my girlfriends, I don't try so hard to just, what can I do for you? How can I yeah. make you feel? Like, I just exist as myself. I can tell my jokes. I can just sit there and say nothing. Like, I don't feel this pressure to be helping. And so I've been trying to observe how I am with them and just reprogram my brain to be like that all the time so that way I'm not thinking around men like oh, what, should I, what should I do for you how can I right. serve you? let me go make you a plate like even though yeah. I don't even have that natural instinct to do that it's just so ingrained in my mind that yep. like I have to take that time to deconstruct and also like trying to help other people other women I should say in my life to do the same thing like if I catch them I guess how can I say being like, like saying stuff like we always say like oh he likes me a lot it's just that you know he doesn't know how to show it like my mom, for example, yesterday, you know, my dad, they have a rocky relationship. My dad doesn't really talk to me much personally. So I'm just like listening to what she has to say about how he's trying to show more love. He's trying to do this and like making excuses and like grabbing at the smallest thing that they do. And I'm like, well, is that the love that you want to accept? Do you really want to have to try to grasp at that love? So I feel like it's mostly been showing up and like me doing that work for myself and undoing those mental ties that I have and also trying to help the people around me do the same thing because even if I don't have it all figured out myself I know that at least planting the seeds you know I think the more of us that we embrace those seeds and let it water and grow and become better it's better for all of society honestly because if we get on board and say no we're not going to accept this then people have no choice but to adjust to that yeah yeah and like that idea of removing yourself from people from situations that ultimately don't serve you and really bring you harm in a way, even though like my experience, I thought that I had to be in those situations. I thought that I had to, to do certain things, to feel certain things in order for that love to be valid or in order for it to show up in a way that I felt it needed to be. And Mm -hmm. it's just so crazy how, and like with you, with being, you know, feeling that you need to to serve men and that you need to, you know, do these acts of service to, to like, that's just something that's been ingrained in you. 
like for me, I've realized like on the flip side of that almost, it's like the people that I'm, that I'm with, I feel that what well, I have felt that like if they aren't showing me or if they aren't uh, doing something like actively towards, you know, showing that they love me in a way, then, then there's no validity in that or there, or it's not love or I'm, I'm yearning for someone to do something for me so they can show me that they mm. love me so I can feel loved inside. Right. And she even yes. talks about this, like, Oh my goodness. Like, um, Oh, where she, where she says that they're, uh, the humanity that we're looking for, the he we're asking for permission for our humanity to be brought back to us for someone mm. else to, to give us that rather than yes. us realizing that for ourselves. And she also mentions like um, that a lot of the time, the only time we see community is when we are like, oh, I need to feel loved. Like, let me go find mm. someone to make me feel good. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, no. Yes. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And how important has setting boundaries been for you? It's literally, I feel like it saved me emotionally. Like it was the hardest to start with my family because I am a sensitive girl, so I had to set the boundaries with my family, like, hey, stop making fun of me, stop commenting on my weight, my hair, my everything, just stop doing that. And, like, for so long, and I was having said, the hardest time to doing that. Well, I did, like, maybe, like, two years ago. Before yeah. that, I could not. Like, I, I remember trying as a kid, and they just be like, no, you're so sensitive. Like, that's just what we do. Like, you just need to get over it. And so for years, I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to take it because mm. they're just going to be like, no, you're too sensitive. And then when I moved out and I realized just how like stuck in my head, all their criticizing voices were, when yes. I went back around them, I had to tell them like, hey, okay, don't do this. And again, they wanted to be like, oh, you're so sensitive. Like, oh, why would you do or do you say that? Like, you know, we're just kidding. And I was like, no, like, if you don't stop doing this, I'm not going to come around you. And they yeah. thought I wasn't being serious, but that was me, like my first time ever setting a boundary, especially with my family. Like that was so scary to me. And so... I was serious. They thought I wasn't. I didn't see them for like a good two years because every time I went around, they would just keep doing the same thing that I already yeah. said. Like, this is my boundary. Like, don't do that. So I stopped going to all the family functions and I stopped like going to visit my mom. I didn't text them. And it wasn't until like two years later that they were like, okay, look, I'm sorry. Like, it shouldn't have taken all this for me to realize, you know. And it wasn't until I did that and like I had to force myself to stay away from them that I was like realizing I would rather be alone or feel alone then like deal with other things that I don't want to deal with or deal with people dragging me down deal with people who are literally I'm telling you don't do this because it hurts me and you're doing it anyway and you're doing like, it anyway right like there's nothing that's worth that and so if once I was able to do that with my own family which you know I love them so much and I'm so like, attached to them it changed everything else for me because it's not so hard to say to like a boss or like a friend like hey don't do that if like you know your own family has already been through that right. you've already been in that whole situation with them so ever since then, you know, if something makes me unhappy, I can just say it. If something is not funny, I don't laugh. I don't feel like I have to be like, oh, haha, they're just kidding. You know, I don't like overexert myself in friendships or like work situations either. Like I just think, what do I want? What makes me happy? What is healthy for me? And once I set that boundary inside and have that very clear, then I can do that with other people and people respect it. And like when people respect it and they do for you what you want them to do, not in the way yeah. that you're forcing them, but because you're saying this is not this is all I'm going to accept. Like, life is just way better that way. Oh, my gosh. Like, (sighs) 
I'm I'm just speechless right now because I'm oh gosh, this is a this is a moment. I'm sorry. Um let's have a moment together. Right, let's do it. Uh because I I'm just so proud like of you and your journey. And I'm just I'm just remembering that I'm remembering that little girl that I was sitting next to in math class and mm-hmm. like all of the talks we would have and yeah, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I think about like, her all the time. <laughs> oh, and you honor her. And I'm just... That, that the power that you have realized in yourself and you are demanding respect. And if someone or people are not willing to give that to you, then you are drawing a line in the sand. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And yes, of course, you know, we might fall backwards in, in some instances, but that's that's okay because we can still come right back to ourselves. And I'm just it's so inspirational for me, like when you say that, because like I hold my family and my loved ones, specifically my parents, at this almost godlike stature. And it and I and we've all been conditioned to believe that it's your family. Like, you know, just, just shrug it off. It's your family. Like it's fine. Like you have to be, you have to be with them. You have to, you know, no matter what that that's what, and it's like, no, like that's not okay. And even in that, I find the compassion for them because I'm thinking, wow, they feel like this is necessary. Like, this is how, this is how my parents, this is how my grandparents, this is how my family show, have, has shown up for me in this way. So I'm doing that to my child because this is how I feel like it should be. But it's really not. It is really not. It's not. And you know that it's coming from, from a place of lack a lot of times. Like, I've heard so many parents say like, oh, my parents never decided like, oh, that's bad, so I'm not gonna do it. Or my parents never stopped to ask why they made me feel this way, so why should I do that for you? Or like, my parents never showed me any love, so this is how it's gonna be. And I'm like, but you don't have to continue that. Like, you could not be jealous of the this potential love <laughs> that your child is gonna receive. Like, it's weird to oh me, my like, goodness. I'm sorry, but it's weird. Wait, can you say that again? They don't have to be jealous of this potential love that their child is gonna receive, like. They don't have to be jealous of this potential love that your child might receive. Wow. Because they get, it's literal jealousy and it's not okay. It's not okay. Like at the end of the day, I can have a lot of compassion because I understand like a lot of our parents had very hard upbringings. Mm -hmm. Their parents, like the stuff that they probably understand now, maybe their parents didn't even understand. And like, that's a big step for them. So I get that. But also at the end of the day, 
I feel like as children, we are very perceptive and we were very aware of what we weren't receiving. And I don't think there's, there's many children who don't speak up to say like, no, can you do this instead? Or how about this? Can we try this? Or this is how I'm feeling at least. So for them to not take that and like try to break the cycle out of jealousy, I feel like it just needs to be called out. Like you can't really coddle that behavior because it's just creating another generation of trauma and just yeah. like opening the door for so much abuse and like mistreatment. It's just, it needs to stop. It's unnecessary. It really is. It, it's like, it's fundamentally unnecessary. Right. right. And I, I'm, I just wish that more people understood that. And like you said, like you understand that, you know, their parents didn't, you know, have the language for it, didn't even have did weren't given the opportunity to even think about these concepts and and think about these things because we're all dealing with our own trauma that we've like internalized from our ancestors through down to us you know so where does this level of setting boundaries and accepting abuse from people and where does forgiveness lie in in that spectrum Mm. I would say this may be controversial because a lot of people say you have to forgive to move on, but I feel like the only person you really need to forgive is yourself for accepting that. And like, whether you want to forgive the person who abused you or not, it's totally up to you because I think, you know, outside of forgiveness for yourself, forgiveness isn't something that you should just give so freely. Mm. Um, because I think there's a big difference between somebody hurting you by accident and like, because, you know, we're all human and that's what we're going to do versus like active abuse. You know what I'm saying? So when it comes to abuse and uh, just like, I guess in relationships, but like also in work situations with people that we don't know, like, you know, there's just so many ways that abuse can take form. I don't think that forgiveness is always the best route. Like, um, I was listening to this one lady, her name is Saida Kelly, and she was talking about how back in the day and where she comes from, and like her indigenous tribes that she comes from, there were certain things that were just not forgivable. Like, for example, like child abuse, like there was no forgiving that. Like they were just either going to remove you or they were going to kill you or something. And I'm like, not saying that killing is like, okay, let's go handle these yeah. problems. But like thinking more critically about forgiveness and not just from this feel good place of like, oh, you have to forgive to free yourself but it's like do you though because some things are done intentionally some things even if they aren't done intentionally it's just like you know that that's wrong so why why is that even considered like something that you could have gone through like a lot of it is like oh well people are going through things and like you know people don't always know what they're doing but that it's only when it's talking about abuse that people say that you know especially when it comes to like black women and like the types of um sentences that were given for crimes and like versus with other people it's like there's never this idea of like oh maybe they just didn't know what they were doing or like you know it's only for things that like are harmful to certain groups that i feel like this whole forgiveness thing is pushed so i just don't i'm not somebody who's like okay yes forgiveness but i'm curious to know how you feel because i know that like I was so happy that you were like telling your perspective because I I think that is very interesting, and I agree to cert- to a certain extent with what you're saying. I agree that um, that you don't necessarily need to just be so freely forg- forgiving of uh, of malice uh, malice intention. 
like mm-hmm. when people actively uh hurt you and and go out and and do these uh malicious things these malicious acts towards you i think that uh that i agree when you say that forgiveness of self is the most important i feel like if you don't forgive yourself for accepting certain things or even for uh i won't say allowing certain things to happen but for certain abuses that have taken place in your life just forgiving yourself for for that and and healing from from that from that vantage point now i think where we maybe differ is uh the notion of uh all acts should not really be forgiven i think that's Mm -hmm. what you were saying and and i think that i think we have to to change our perspective what forgiveness is because I don't think that forgiveness is like this thing where you, okay, you, you give it to somebody and then like you can invite them back into your life or you can, or they're absolved from consequence. Like, I don't think that forgiveness equals no consequence. I think forgiveness means that there is an acknowledgement of the hurt. There is an acknowledgement of the impact that this act has has uh, had on me or on a group of people or, or whom, whomever, but that there must be consequence that happens afterwards. There must be an atonement for the the acts that were that were done. And forgiveness, to me, I I take it for. If you don't forgive someone for something that they, for an egregious error that they have done to you, then there's there's a level of power that's still associated with that act. And that's for me. Like I've learned that in in going through life and my experience that, yes, when I, I do feel like I have forgiven myself for a lot of things that I've done a lot of things that I've allowed happen to me a lot of things a lot of abuses that have taken place in my life um, done uh, towards me Uh, but I have had to have some sort of compassion and forgive those that enacted those things and because of that I was able to see them for not for what they did to me but for the pain that they were internalizing that manifested itself in that act that was done to me because I truly believe that when people know better they do better and and the lessons that they were taught or the lessons that they have yet to learn they weren't able to to uh to formulate that in a behavior that was in a loving manner and Maybe, and to some some people, they might, you know, hear that and say, uh, well, I hear what you're saying, but nah, they, they trifling. Like, I get that, and they may very well be trifling people. Like, they very may well be that. But I think that for myself, I'm able to, or at least I, I strive to, to see that little boy or little girl or little person, like, in them and see that th- that's the person that's hurting. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to invite them back into my space, that I'm going to, like, that whatever they did is without consequence. Like, no, none of that. I'm forgiving you for that and seeing it for what it is in that realm. 
but stay over there. Like you, I've set the boundaries for that and you can no longer enter, enter, uh, enter into my space and, and mess with my energies. So that's mm-hmm. like my take on forgiveness and, and, but I good definitely take, understand, take. I understand what people, when, what you were saying in, in that level, cause like, it's definitely starts with yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's so a lot of aspects I agree with. Yeah. With what you so said, what's yeah. your, what's your definition of God? This is something I am still figuring out, honestly, because for a while, I would say most of my life I was taught like, you know, Christian Catholic values. But during the time where I was being taught those things, I didn't really believe it, but I just tried to make myself believe it. Yeah. Um, and then I went through a period where I was like, okay, no, I don't believe any of this. I'm just going to identify as an atheist, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm kind of to the point where I'm like, I don't know if I could consider myself an atheist really, because I do things like with ancestors and like, I believe in the universe and whatnot. So that causes me to feel like I believe in something, yeah. but I don't know what I would describe it as. I think the best way I've heard it described is like when people are praying, whether they're saying Ashe or Amen or whatever they're saying in their language, it's not so much about who they're talking to or like how they've interpreted who they're talking to. It's more so like the power behind it. So I feel like if I do believe in God, it's it would be the power behind like manifestation or prayers or yeah. chanting, like whatever that power is, whether it's a person or not, or like just something that exists for everything. Right. I think that would be what God is. And what does hope look like for you? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so hope. I I don't know. You know, I still kind of struggle with this. I'm an optimistic person, I'd say, because I do always believe that things could be better. But I also have to question like people's commitment to making things better because some things are not going to change like until a significant group of people actually says, okay, we're going to stop this or we're going to do something about this. And so for me, oh, I don't know. I guess hope in my own personal life is one thing because I can always have hope for things that I have control over. But as far as like hope for the world (laughs) at large, that's something I'm still trying to figure out because the way things are right now, it's like, you know, it's going to take certain people to take action. And if they don't do that, you know, I, I struggle with having hope that people will always do the right thing in the end or that things will always work out in the end because I've seen like throughout history and even now that that's not always the case. So I don't know what hope looks like for me yet because, you know, I feel like I, I'm the type of person I need a reason to have hope. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Well, what about what you? Is, what about me? Yeah. Oh. Because I feel like you would say something that would make me feel like, okay, yes, I have hope. Okay, yes. <laughs> well... See, I, I too have an interesting relationship with hope. I am by nature a very optimistic person. I naturally see the good in all people, in all things, and look for the bright side to the other end of things. And I, I'm definitely a, a believer that things, when things look chaotic and when things look destructive and that they're falling apart, that that is, that means that we are in the midst of a, uh, a healing and a reckoning that is needed in order for, in order for us to get to that, 
light or that hopeful future that we so long to have. So hope looks like looks like you. Hope looks like when I uh, play with my dog. Hope looks like when I write a poem. Hope looks like uh, looks like when I see people on the streets that are that are uh, enacting their civil duty to to change what we know as truth and what we've accepted as the status quo. Hope looks like these types of conversations. Like hope looks like humanity for me, uh, and. I don't know, it's, it's not this intangible thing that I feel like so many people uh, attribute to, to hope and, and the idea of hope, but, and that, I mean, that's really the gist of, of how I, I feel about it, like waking up in the morning and, and eating and like all of these things, it, it's like the, the experience of life itself that looks like hope that feels like hope to me so oh, that yeah that definitely did help <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad uh well, what is one thing <laughs> what is one thing you wish you were able to learn about yourself sooner hmm. basically that i don't have to be any other way like there's nothing wrong with me how i inherently am i can mm. just myself like there's nothing wrong with me being quiet there's nothing wrong with me being serious there's nothing wrong with me wanting to make jokes like those things that I naturally do are not things that I have to like look at as like through well, like a criticizing lens I can just be myself and accept myself in any situation it doesn't have to be like that I'm making myself fit for every situation I can just be myself and that is enough I love that what is the difference between living and existing Hmm, existing, you're just kind of on cope, like you're just chilling. You're not even taking the reins of your own life. People are just telling you stuff and you're like, okay, cool. Your parents are telling you this is what you have to do. And you're like, all right, great, got it. The world is like, no, there's only two genders. And you're like, well, you're right. And then you just go along with everything, like never questioning stuff. You don't ever think, does this make me happy? If somebody didn't tell me this, would I actually do it? And then, you know, when you're really living, you're making your own decisions. You're thinking about what you want to do what you believe, what makes you happy, how you want to do things, how you want to dress. It's all about you. It just sounds like bad, but when you think about you first, you're also able to think about other people because you're not missing something, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. What is one thing you wish the world had more of? Mm -hmm. I guess, like, willingness to, like, not criticize yourself but like analyze yourself and like to be wrong or to say the wrong thing or like you know and say that you did the wrong thing or say that you said the wrong thing and think how can I do better instead of just wanting to be right all the time or wanting to say the right thing and look the right way just like be and see how you can do better thank you again Kayleen for agreeing to have this conversation and for being vulnerable and for sharing your perspective on all things love. If you want to know more about Kayleen, please go into the description below. All of her information, all of her pages, everything is there for you. And thank you again for taking the time to watch and listen to this conversation. If you want more conversations like this one, please like, 
comment, share, and subscribe to be a part of the RRC family. One conversation can change the trajectory of someone's life for the better. Together, we can make this happen for you, for me, and for everyone around us. Take some time to look inward and please always start with forgiveness. Remember to vote, remember to wear your mask, and we'll see you on the next one. Love always.